Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode eight of season two of This Osteopathic Life. Today's episode touches on the idea of inertia and fatigue, and we'll get a little bit more into the detail there. I'd like to take a moment to review the context of where we are and how we are today at the time that this podcast is being recorded and produced. It's April 1st, 2020, and growing up, I was a big fan of April Fool's jokes, not the mean kind, but the fun kind, not the real messy kind, but just the silly goofy methods. And I'll admit that today, in context of everything that's going on, nothing felt right. You know, nothing felt appropriate, I guess, for heading in that direction because it seemed like anything you would offer as a prank might give false hope that we've moved past some of these bigger and deeper and trickier, more challenging times that we're in. And maybe that's oversensitivity. And I will share that a dear friend back in Michigan woke her kids up early and told them that school was back in session. She was going to take them and stopped by kind of a sketchy looking house and was, you know, going to drive off as if they were going to go there for their new version of school. And then it was April Fool's and they returned home And the older two were kind of having none of any of the experience. And the youngest was super excited to be going to this new school experience. And that was pretty disappointed to be returned home. And that one seemed pretty okay, you know, as far as humor goes. But it's tough in that ability to keep a sense of humor in challenging times when the news can be so much and there's a lot of overwhelm and how do we even joke in that moment? And my family recorded a video through town yesterday, which seems like it could be along an April Fool's line, you know, a mock-up of being excited to go to a different venue, restaurant, space, place. And of course, all are closed right now in our social distancing protocol. And that act of being around town, you know, there's again the concerned part of me that thinks we even set foot in all these places. They didn't touch any of them. There were no other people around. But seeing the humor and joy it brought to the community put a bit of balance there. And so seeing how it can be important to keep these humorous moments in our lives, even when or particularly when everything else seems so challenging and a bit downtrodden. 
So before I get started in the specifics of this episode, I'll share a couple highlights of my past week. And I've begun my journey into Life Coach School certification. I had the second call yesterday. And it feels good to be learning and seeing opportunity to put skills that I've developed in the past into use in a new way and to learn a new language and set of tools to apply to an, another way of serving the greater good and the health of the mind. And so that was a highlight for me. But perhaps the most, and which more directly relates to this podcast, has been the collective gathering and sharing, encouragement of my colleagues in osteopathic medicine. And of course, the name of this podcast, This Osteopathic Life, is about promoting and preserving and broadening the application of osteopathic principles and practice for anyone, you know, all walks of life, in and out of medicine. But also, and particularly for those who are within the walls and halls of osteopathic medicine from the level of student to resident to practicing physician to those in academics and in research and in policy and in advocacy and in administration. And over the course of these weeks of talking about practice closures and changes of practice and use of appropriate masking when we're seeing patients, I was having a similar conversation over and over again with my colleagues in various parts of the country. And after one in particular, I thought, well, we should really be gathering and putting this conversation in a concentrated space and working together and seeing, you know, what are our struggles and what are our successes and how can we learn from one another and how can we problem solve together rather than in these siloed ways. And so I offered it up and last week we had our first call and there were nine, nine of us there, I believe. And it worked well. You know, it was an encouraging experience to hear from everyone, even though the sharing was difficult in that we were talking about not being able to see patients in closure of practices. It was also helpful to hear those common experiences and see where some were finding ways to remain productive or to reach into other arenas or methods of communicating and supporting patients. And today in our follow-up call, again, I think there were nine and even 10 by the end of the call who got together reviewing the course of the week, new projects, questions to be answered, sharing documents that have been meaningful and hearing from one another And just that act in a virtual way of being together was so meaningful. You know, seeing these faces who have been sources of collegial support for so many years, meeting new people through those connections, you know, those degrees of separation, which really aren't so great. Once we realize, you know, the nature of our community and being able to walk away with some action items, with some plans and to know that there are resources, that there are human resources there for support in times of struggle, be that very specifically, 
you know, with methods of seeing patients and protocols and notes and handouts, or philosophically, emotionally, spiritually, when you are just having a real rough time and it's overwhelming and it's hard to express that sometimes to your family or to friends who aren't involved in the same way, to have these tangible, visible, contactable resources you know, with whom you can converse is so important and powerful. And so that's encouraging to me. And it allowed this osteopathic life to have another real moment. And that's been work that I've been doing. You know, I picture events and gatherings and, you know, lecturing and series in that way. And that's still there. That's still a goal and a task on the horizon. But right now, you know, this podcast is real. I got a blog out yesterday that's real. And I will say, I don't know how many of these episodes I've closed, hoping I'll get an Instagram post up that I put one out today. One, right? It's got to start somewhere. And this call was very real. And the follow-up connections that allow me to put on an administrative hat, which I'll be very honest with you, is so enjoyable for me, gave me lift and light during this time. And what will come from it remains to be seen. But in the now, it is okay. And I have overcome inertia and I have sustained through fatigue with this project. But those two aspects have come into play in other ways for me during this experience. And I've talked a little bit about inertia in the early season of the podcast. And if we look at just the basic thoughts around it, you know, the first is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. And I'll say up until about an hour ago, that was the Instagram account for this osteopathic life, right? I was doing nothing. I had just my profile picture post for more than a whole year on there. And some of that was lack of knowledge of use. Some was deprioritization. Some was maybe fear of would anyone even look at it or what was the meaning behind it? Whatever it was, it's begun. The ball has started rolling at whatever slow pace of one today. But there are ideas, and now I've had a tangible output and can continue on with that. Another way to look at it is a property of matter by which it continues in its existing state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless that state is changed by an external force. And this is where I want to go and explore and look today. One other quick definition before we get into it more specifically. Inertia is a passive property and does not enable a body to do anything except oppose such active agents as forces and torques. And that segues into the concept that if you want to overcome inertia, you have to apply a force. A force will make something that is still start to move. Also force due to resistance will slow or stop something that is already moving. And it will also, can also change its direction. And this is the shift in how this concept, this idea of inertia came up for me. And in some of my research, it was really fascinating to me. And if you ever, if you're like me, sometimes I read a book and I'm a pretty good retainer of information, but there's been a little bit of a distracted state right now of reading and other things are happening. Kids are in the house 
work stuff comes up even though I'm at home. And I might put the book down and pick it up and go back and realize, oh, I've read these pages already, which my 12-year-old was just aghast that I could not remember that I'd already read those pages in any case. But I was pulling up articles. As I've said, Psychology Today often comes up as a really meaningful resource for me when I'm preparing these episodes. And I read one by Jim Taylor, PhD, posted in November of 2011, and I'll put the link to it in the show notes, Life Inertia, Like an Asteroid Hurtling Through Space. And it was really great, and it touches on this concept where I wanted to go. And then as I researched more, another article came up from the Saturday Evening Post from January 27th of 2020. And I started to read it, and I thought, man, this seems familiar. And then I double-checked the author, Jim Taylor, PhD, and it is almost verbatim, that same post from Psychology Today. So I was proud of myself for sensing that it was familiar and being able to compare the two and how interesting that it was reposted nine years later and totally fair. It's his own article. He can reuse it as he sees fit. And I was honestly surprised that the other one was so old, you know, that it was from 2011 and he had, you know, commented on these ideas. But the very truncated Cliff's notes is looking at how inertia comes into play when we're on this fast track and this linear trajectory and we're kind of blinders on, head down, full speed forward. And it was so interesting to me because I often think of inertia as that object at rest piece, which is fascinating because at rest is probably where I'm the least in most of my days and times and you know energy expenditure. But I often think about the challenge of inertia with those things that I can't do, like the Instagram post, as I mentioned. And even as I started to think about this concept of inertia and fatigue, the starting and the finishing of things, it came to me more two days ago when you know I was planning to do a workout and couldn't quite figure out the timing with my work and timing of eating during the day and you know, now not going to the gym at four o'clock in the morning or 4.30 in the morning, which is very clear that I just do the workout then and then I move on with the rest of the day. Now I have to strategize it within and it's challenging for me. And for that and for other reasons, I just was not motivated to do any type of workout. I believe on Monday, if you're with me, it's hard to keep track of what day is what right now. And so I finally did and I realized this was the window if I was gonna do it. And went out to the garage where we've now created a gym since the gym where normally I am an owner and a coach and an athlete is closed. And I started and it was awful. You know, it's like moving through mud and movements that I'm usually pretty good at were just all over the place. But I finished one workout and in the CrossFit world, we used to talk about wads, workouts of the day, and they had very in length, but this one was only 10 minutes long and I had planned to maybe do another one. And so the first one came and went. I thought, okay, I have the other one set up. I'm just going to do it. And same thing, you know, I was maybe a little bit moving more efficiently through, but still not where I would normally be. You know, I've done this same workout before and I know how much time it usually takes me. And it was taking me longer, but I did it. And then a neighbor walked by, didn't enter in. We waved, chatted briefly. And then I thought, well, I'm out here and I'm already sweaty. So I'm just going to do another one. 
And then that one felt pretty good, you know? And so once I got started, I had some momentum and I went through it and I completed what was a pretty good afternoon of exercise output and resistance training. And I felt good. And I almost thought like, why did you make it so hard to get started with this? Like, you know, you feel good once you do it. You know, why was that even an issue? And so for that, it felt like that startup inertia aspect was really an issue to be addressed. And on the counter side was thinking about fatigue and when it's easy to begin things, but maybe not see them through. And, you know, how to be a good finisher is its own concept and its books and its posts and different, you know, coaching programs because it's exciting, right? To have ideas and to initiate it, but it's, you know, it's boring and it's slow and it's sluggish and it's dirty work that sometimes takes us to the finish line. And so in what arenas, you know, do we struggle with each? And I would say in writing, you know, in that same week, the next day, I was trying to get this blog post done. It was doctor's day. It was supposed to be timely and I haven't written in quite a while. And so that one feels more like the fatigue issue where that finishing power is lacking rather than the starting. And I would encourage you to think about which applies to various areas of your life. And now caveat is not the time to necessarily be harsh about it or overly self-critical, but more introspective, self-aware, and to gently look at these opportunities to see where challenges might lie and what creative solutions might be for you. Not to make yourself all better, but to recognize, do you need help starting? Do you need help finishing? You know, where does that come into play for you? But where I'd really like to go is looking at inertia and the effect of kind of just rolling as fast as we can downhill. And this, I don't think, ever really occurred to me, or at least not in the way that it was presented by uh, Jim Taylor in these articles in Psychology Today. And there are two of them, and I'll put them both in there. And another more recent one he wrote also in the Saturday Evening Post. Apparently that's his medium now, rather than Psychology Today. But looking at what does it mean and what kind of force does it take to stop us when we are on this you know, rocket speed trajectory, I'll say forward, but in a particular direction. And I think about, you know, right now we kind of have life pre and post COVID-19. And I'll say for me, I'll wager that it's true for many of us, but I won't speak out of turn for anyone but myself. We were busy you know, and that can be a trigger word for many. But as I've said, I'd get up early, I'd coach a couple hours at the gym, I'd work eight to 10 hours in the clinic, I'd meditate in between, I'd use the one half day of clinic I had to get podcast and fellowship work done. In the evenings, it was running back and forth between practices and maybe coaching again and prepping dinner and getting homework done and bedtimes, maybe some time just chatting with my husband, you know, wrapping up whatever journaling, meditation, communication that needed to happen, going back to bed and doing it again. 
and moving things forward, again, I think I'll use that term loosely right now, in these different projects, you know, growing the gym base, building the clinical panel, you know, seeing where this osteopathic life could go, being part of the fellowship and advocacy and helping my children, you know, in the things that they enjoyed, be that sports or music or theater, time with friends, you know, different artistic and athletic outputs and staying connected with family, you know, is all of this rolling and snowballing and movement at a very high speed. And what would it take, you know, to stop us in those tracks? And if I look at this past two years, I suppose, maybe five, five to six, if we want to go back that far, you know, for us, that move initially in 2015 from Michigan to Ashland was a bit of a stop, right? We stopped that fast trajectory and work became less and school rhythms shifted. And so that was one. And so it took a 3000 mile move to take a pause and interrupt that inertial aspect. Nearly two years ago now, June will be two years. It was the abdominal injury that I suffered that literally sat me down. I wasn't allowed to walk more than a block. And so it took that severity to stop the rhythm, even though there might've been lower paced, lower force clues, requests, suggestions for pause before that. It took something that significant, you know, that strong of an injury to pull the rug out and say, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you doing it? What should you be doing? And somehow back into it, you know, back into a similar pattern. And now for the whole world, you know, this pandemic has been that unexpected roadblock, stopping point, change in friction with the road to change all of our paths and trajectories and paces. And now we're in somewhat of a pause portion, but we've been involuntarily brought to that slowdown, to that pause. And as we're in the perhaps contemplative phase, for those of us that have some time to do it, some of us don't have that luxury right now because we're still in a very busy spot, but maybe a different one than we would have elected with patient care and the taxing energy that's required of us to do our jobs in this very unusual time. But for all of us, the pace of life has been changed. And from here, we get to decide how we take those next steps forward and what the tempo is that we will take with us. And that, I recognize, is a privileged statement to be able to gather all that and decide how to move forward. And I realize that some are struggling and some struggled before we hit this moment and many will struggle during and after. But I think what I hope is that we will have this 
moment to allow us to come up for air and to look all along the horizon and to gain awareness kind of reflectively of how we are and what we're doing and how we're doing it, how it is for others. You know, we're painting a clearer picture of disparities in our healthcare system, in the economic landscape, in access to resources, you know, for the first time recognizing the need for improved hygiene in these times, water has been turned on for people who have lost access due to lack of funds, not being able to pay their bills, and why it takes this moment to see that these resources need to have a better guarantee for people, for the optimal health of all. We're seeing that our health and our choices don't just impact us. You know, we talk about that in medicine. We talk about how we make, you know, good choices for ourselves, for our health, for our family, for our children, for the people around us, but also because it impacts global health, community health as a whole. When you think about habits, smoking, for example, you know, it can cause individual harm. It can cause, you know, close proximity, relative and community harm through secondhand smoke exposure, but it also can harm the community at large for use of the medical resources to care for the person who has medical conditions secondary to smoking, for the environment, for the presence of cigarette butts in the world, for the overall air quality, for what's being produced, for the impact of addiction and the cost within the healthcare system and mental health management for those who are working to overcome addiction and the challenges it presents to them from that aspect. It can present generationally and community-wide. You can create stigma and it can impact truancies to school. Kids get suspended because of having cigarettes and then there's lack of education. And so it's this spider web you know, of impact. And we don't always see it. And even now I've seen numbers posted you know, of deaths related to different causes totally separate from COVID and why are we making such a big deal out of this? And smoking is one of them. And there are some comments of, well, that doesn't affect me, you know, if those people choose to smoke, but it does. It does. Maybe not in as direct of a way as an aerosolized infectious disease can, but our choices impact the greater health for the better and for the worse. And we need to have a better awareness of that. And we need to recognize that those what we might deem poor choices of our fellow community members. Now we might want to write it off as just impacting them, but seeing how it affects us. And if we want to view that selfishly, fair enough. But ideally, if you're going to take the selfish view, then find out how you can be part of the solution in a non-critical, non-judgmental way and see how you can make a difference on those choices more globally, getting to the point of why someone might smoke. And I really didn't intend this to be a smoking and non-smoking episode, but it's an example that came up. And seeing what you can do to be part of the solution, perhaps it's lack of support and perhaps it's generational and perhaps it's reflective of depression or economic challenges. And how can we, if you want to think of it from a bottom up 
or from a top down, from a broader perspective, recognize what's contributing to that and see how we can be part of the solution. More acutely in this time of COVID-19 and this global pandemic, there are a lot of questions about why we're doing what we're doing and what the impact is going to be economically and certainly are all worth exploring. But I think it is worthwhile and valuable to see and to think about how do our actions impact ourselves, you know, in our immediate family, our extended family, our nearby community, extended community, and look at those circles of influence and see how it is that we are being a positive contributor there. And if we're going to have this moment of this abrupt shift in our trajectory, can we take it in a thoughtful way and use it to understand our role in a contributor to the greater health of all things and looking at that ripple effect. And so as I reconsider inertia and Dr. Jim Taylor talks to us about forces of life inertia, there's opportunity here to utilize it in a meaningful way, recognize when we're challenged by it, and see where now there's invitation to step through and step forward and stand up and show up and speak up in a way that is meaningful for ourselves and for those around us and see, for better or for worse, we are in this global community, right? We've seen some of the challenges that are presented by that and we've seen some of the amazing opportunities that exist because of being in this global community. But either way, positive or negative, we must accept that we have some responsibility for ourselves and recognize that the manner in which we uptake and uphold that responsibility does have an impact on those around us on as broad of a scale as we are able to envision. And I encourage you to envision it as broadly as you can right now. And so I'm going to step into this next week myself with that more thoughtful perspective with the recognition of where I need help starting and where I need help finishing and to begin to listen sooner for those points in which maybe I'm being encouraged to move in another direction so that it doesn't always take such a big and drastic, harsh, aggressive force to have me stop and reevaluate. And maybe, maybe it'd be easier just to change course during, you know, and I don't say micromanage, but fine tune, fine tune and redirect the way in which we move. I thank you for your time. And for listening, you can indeed now follow This Osteopathic Life on Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and also check out blog articles. I'm going to be working from all elements of media to expand our knowledge, understanding, awareness, connection, and impact for the best health of all things. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.